like 10,000 no's is like so, there's so many no's and it, it normalizes no's in a way that I think people, especially my age, are really afraid to not even take a bunch of no's, but like they're afraid to even put themselves in a position to get told no, because there's so, there's such a big fear of rejection that like even putting yourself out to even get rejected in the first place is a big, huge step that, uh, is super worth it, but not a lot of people I feel like do, especially um, uh, people my age. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you, because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. Today, I have got a tremendously talented young filmmaker named Cooper Rafe with me. You're going to hear a lot of my gushing over his talent and his work, specifically a film he wrote, directed, and starred in called Shithouse, excuse my French, which won the top prize at South by Southwest this past year. The festival is nearly impossible for most people to get their films into, much less to win the top prize. Uh, unfortunately, due to COVID-19 hitting on the day the festival was scheduled to open, Cooper was forced to receive his critical acclaim from his bedroom rather than basking in the glow of a live adoring audience in Austin, Texas. Nonetheless, this guy made a fantastic film. One of the things I loved about this film and his voice as a filmmaker is his honesty. And I bring it up because the day we recorded, our internet connection was a little suspect. So there were a few times where he'd be talking and I just lost him. Literally couldn't hear him. He'd just drop out for a few seconds. Luckily, we recorded both sides of the conversation locally. So you'll hear everything, even if I didn't hear it in the moment on the day. But I wanted to leave it in there this messiness because there was something about the spontaneity that brought out the charm in this kid. And I'm allowed to call him a kid because he's a lot younger than me. But despite the age difference, I am still in awe of his talent in bringing this story to the screen. Before we get to Cooper, I just want to thank everyone, as I do pretty much every week, for ordering my book, writing in with such positive feedback, sharing it on social media, etc., gifting it to your loved ones. And same thing with the podcast. Every review, every five-star rating, all of that is appreciated more than you know. It helps us get the word out to other people who may need to hear these conversations or read that book. And at the same time, I want to help my guests who are collectively bringing so much light to the world. I want people to see that light. And one of those bright lights is a film called Shithouse, believe it or not. And we are all very lucky to glean some of the wisdom from its young writer, director, and star, Cooper Rafe. So here he is. So here's here's what I was thinking. First of all, thanks for doing this, man. This is great. Um, I was thinking a good kickoff is for me to, it'll be embarrassing for you. I probably won't keep it on the actual episode, but I may. I don't know. I like to keep it raw. But this email that I wrote you, because I don't, I don't do this, I really don't do this very often, but I was so taken by your film. Yeah, please that- read it. I'd love to hear it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess a filmmaker can hear this. I don't even remember what I wrote, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read Pull it. Pull that right baby now. up. 
Here it is. So I said, Cooper, my name is Matt Del Negro and I'm an actor. This email is more than a week overdue as I was blown away by shithouse a week and a half ago. Peter Rinaldi had me on Back to One shortly after your episode aired and I loved your conversation. I asked him if there was any way to check out your film and Caitlin Hughes kindly sent me a link to it on Vimeo. I loved it. The simplicity in the best sense of that word and purity of performances, plot, and execution truly inspired me. It was so honest and awkward at times and really captured the vibe of the spark of new love as well as the horror of next day amnesia. It stayed ahead of me and made me root for your character and for the two of them to get back together. Structurally, and I know this may sound weird, (laughs) it reminded me of Boogie Nights. Let me explain. I always say that the first half of that film makes me wish I was a porn star. And after the New Year's Day 1980 Bill Macy's suicide, the second half makes me thank God I wasn't a porn star. In similar fashion, Shithouse made me want to be in that beautiful sink that you and Dylan Galula captured. Great performance by her as well. But then made me grateful I wasn't you once that scene in the bodega the following morning rolled around. (laughs) What you did in terms of tone and pace and emotion reminded me of movies I haven't seen for a long time. It inspired me to want to make something or be a part of something similar. I know from your interview that you've been uh, influenced by the Duplass vibe, but it also reminded me of some earlier Richard Linklater films, particularly before Sunrise. I told Caitlin and Peter I had to reach out and just let you know how it hit me because an effort like that needs to be applauded at every opportunity. I was pretty astounded by what you did and kept praying that it wasn't going to fall apart before the end because I was loving it so much. It didn't. It got me right through the rolling of the credits. Zero pressure here, but if you ever want to sit down for my podcast, 10,000 knows you got an open invite. No big rush. Meantime, bravo, brother. Well done. Best, Matt. And yeah, I got I got chills again, man. When I read it, I did. And right now I do. I, it really meant so much to me. And uh, not only was it so kind, but it just um, the emails like that just make me feel so uh, feel so seen and like heard and like li- just like really listened to. And because I know it's a movie that you have to meet it where it is. And it's always just so nice when I feel like someone really, really did uh, meet it where where it is. I did. And it's like, I watched it. I watched a link of it on, on Vimeo and I'm here in this apartment in Brooklyn. And so I kind of did the screen mirroring on, on the big screen. So I was able to see it, but it was a little, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even perfect is what I'm saying. It's like, it was a little fuzzy. Sometimes it would cut out. I'd have to start it again because, you know, of the connection or whatever. And even with that happening, I was just, I really was so sucked into it and and rooting for you and didn't know you as an actor, didn't know her as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard both of you, I think, at that point on Back to One. So I liked you. I think I, I, think I was like, you know, that's why I asked to see it because I was like, oh, I like this guy. He's, right. he's, he's, he's young and he's reaching for something. And based on how he is in this interview... I have a feeling this thing's going to be good, but I'm still kind of going. And I told Peter this, I'm like, I'm really hoping I agree with you, man, because I, cause, <laughs> cause sometimes, you know, somebody tells you something that oh, they yeah. love and oh, he yeah. gushed, but sometimes you just doesn't, you know, it doesn't do it for you. And right. I, so I was afraid, but dude, it just, it got, I mean, you nailed it. You nailed it. 
I really appreciate it. And I love what you said about uh, hoping the whole time that it doesn't fall apart. I think making it, we were the, we were feeling the same thing. Like, and, and even in editing, I don't think um, with small movies like that, they're just so fragile. And while you're putting it together, I think you keep thinking, oh, crap, like we're so good for so long. And then I think that um, you get scared that you're going to make a wrong move or you're not going to have the right take and you can't go back because you don't have the money or whatever. But I was so excited that the whole thing does feel like I feel that like I pulled off of a a magic trick in that way. Like, thank God it, we got that one thing that we can like pull out and cover up this mistake or, or this mistake and that sort of thing. But I really, really appreciated that email so much. Well, I appreciated what you did. It, it, it's, it's so good. I mean, you, you know, there, there's, I, I don't have a crystal ball, so who knows? And, and, you know, don't go by me, but I, I can't imagine you're not going to just be coming back with so much more work. I can't wait to see. I mean, it, it, it was, you know, one, I'm wondering like, what was the, the schedule? Like how many days did you guys shoot that in? I think 17 total days. And one of those days was way like probably four months after to try to get pickups and stuff like that. But we had a good amount of time. It felt like we didn't have uh, the support we needed each day and like the the, um, resources and money. But we did feel like uh, we had the time to, to really get it right, which was really nice. Really? Yeah. That's, I mean, and, and was it a, a really small crew? Was it kind of skeleton? Yeah, we got, we got away with um, telling people that we were a student film because we didn't have that many people on set. It was probably about like um, under 10 people on set uh, most of the time. Wow. Like including, right. a, including actors too, which is good. So I, I want to get, I kind of want to get into some of the nitty gritty of, of where that came from for you and and how it came about and how you pulled it off. Before we go there, I kind of want to go back. And, and like I said, I had listened to you on, on Peter's podcast. And so I heard, you know, it's like, but that was, that was a little while ago now, but I I remember one, the, the gist of what I remember was that you were in some kind of uh, group that was very, um, encouraging. Of, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, studio. It was like, it was yeah. like a, it was like a theater company. Yes. I don't know if it was a company or it was in yeah. school or what it was, but where, where'd you grow up? Where, where was this? I grew up in Dallas and the, the studio was called like the Dallas young actors studio. And I went there for four years and just, um, got a lot of confidence there. And, um, this woman, uh, who f- like founded it is Linda Sito. And she was just very much, Wanted uh, actors and I guess artists to feel like it was a safe space to like try things and be really bad and but also feel like they were doing really great. <laughs> I always laugh because I think if I was a fly on a wall uh, looking back and seeing some of the things that I was doing that I thought were so amazing, I bet it was just like such a killer. <laughs> like so. Um, well, but that I think that's what I yes. kind of responded to was yeah. it yeah, maybe a lot of that stuff for you and for other people in the class, maybe it was horrible. But what I responded to, I remember when I was listening to it was like, how great that she didn't do what a lot of adults do, um, which is kind of impose these standards on something before 
these young artists or humans, you know, right. that may not have ended up becoming artists, but like before they were even fully formed, she didn't cut them out at the legs. And then, you know, maybe 99 of them were horrible and never <laughs> went on. But look what came out. Look at you and what you pulled off, which I think is beyond your years. I can't imagine that that didn't have something to do with the fact that you must have felt uh, comfortable being uncomfortable because your yeah. film is like, it's got that all over it, you know? Mm -hmm. I felt very, I think everyone in the class, everyone and everyone's just like such an awesome person who, who I spent all my time with there. Like we all just felt very validated every time we went up and did something, even if it, and I also just remember from my own, like, I, and maybe I'm not a judgmental person, but all of my friends, when they went up and did something, I was always just like, yeah, it's so amazing. Just because we weren't, we weren't very stiffly reading lines. We were just kind of talking to each other. And I think I would get lost because I like care so much about like Ian or Noah, like when they would get up and do a scene and it just came straight from them because I love Ian and Noah. I, I loved the scene that they did or they improvised. And so I don't think there wasn't anything to really judge about it. So it was very validating in that way. Like they weren't reading lines incorrectly. They were just saying things and maybe it was super boring, but it wasn't boring because it was Ian and Noah who I love so much. And how old were you at that time? What, what four years was that? Like, like high school, uh, I, high I joined school. freshman year and then I left when I left for college. And what about how early did you know you wanted to act, be a filmmaker, to do this in some way, shape or form? Were you playing, were you ever like playing sports as a kid and that was taking up your time and then you shifted to this or was this something from a young, young age? Did you play music? What was your thing? Yeah, it's funny actually, High School Musical was like my favorite movie <laughs> because I did, I played basketball a ton and I played AAU and was really into it. And I think around eighth grade, Everyone was getting so big and tall and fast. <laughs> and I was in this play in eighth grade where I played uh, like some, I, I was just acted in a play and I really loved it so much. And I think I'm someone who gets very passionate about things. And when I realized that I wasn't going to be able to hang with all of the basketball studs, I kind of, I think, shifted into, I can definitely act for sure. <laughs> and so I started, um, I was in that play. And then I think that summer is when I started to try to look for uh, an acting studio. And it just so happened that it was a film acting studio. So I think I could have very easily really fallen in love with theater, but because of the studio and it was very um, intimate and not, there wasn't a stage. It was like this very small uh, place inside of like a shopping mall. And so it was just, uh, we were doing things on camera, even though there weren't like we weren't doing it on camera. Yeah. Well, it's funny, the basketball thing, that's kind of in the film too, you know? That's yes. Right. That, yeah, that, yeah. Just be at, at the party and, and, you know, looking at the guys that are kind of on the in, on the inside in the, in the cool crowd. And then you went and you take the ball and go play. So I was, I was wondering that, I mean, that's a little where the question came from. And, yeah. um, and so, so you, you get out of there, you leave Texas, you go to Occidental out in LA area, basically mm -hmm. in Glendale, like, is it Eagle Rock? Eagle Rock. Eagle Rock. Yeah. Okay. So you, you do that. I mean, kind of similar to what the, uh, the story is of the film. Is it how much I'm, I'm imagining it's, it's, you know, there's some autobiographical, some kind of something from your own life, but how, two questions. 
one, did you do a bunch of other things that led up to shithouse? And two, like how, what's your process in figuring out just even in writing, are you a guy that's sitting down at a, at a keyboard and writing, or are you a guy that uh, you strike me as very kind of it coming to you organically? Is it something like scenes are appearing to you and then you kind of put them together and figure it out? Like what, what's your, your, your process with that? Like how it came about? I think, uh, in terms of process, it's definitely just changes all the time, but to answer the first question, I think what led to Shithouse was I went to LA wanting to act. Like so that studio had a Hollywood showcase thing. And so this agency, Osbrink agency, uh, signed me my senior year and was like, come out to LA, we'll do auditions. And I was so excited and thought, and actually like chose Occidental because I, I think I thought I was gonna like drop out maybe like really soon because I was gonna book something amazing. And so I started going on auditions my first week of college and just realized right away that um, it was very bad for my mental health. And I was like, I was just going on very bleak, like bad short film auditions so many, like so often. And I was just like, I can't, I need to be experiencing um, other things because this is a bad introduction to LA. But um, so I stopped kind of um, going, I, I didn't drop the agency, but I kind of like would say, I don't really want to do this audition. Or I don't want to do that. And I kind of just uh, uh, over time was not with Osbrink. <laughs> and, um, but so as I realized that acting wasn't going to be the thing for me, I started writing a bunch. In my senior year of high school, I wrote this play that I also acted in and my friend directed it. And that was like the best uh, experience that I had in high school in terms of like feeling really nice and fulfilled uh, in terms of like acting, writing, just it, it creating something, it felt so nice. And then my freshman year, when I realized acting was tough, I started writing and I started writing like roles for myself, but I never thought about making a movie or like uh, I was never ever interested in directing because I just thought like, I just think people who are into directing, I'm just like, how, like, that's so bold of you to be like, I want to be a director. I think it's like, um, it just requires a lot of leadership skills that I just don't think I have. And so I wrote all of these things my freshman year and like the summer before my sophomore year and all throughout first semester of sophomore year at Occidental, I was trying to send all of these very random people, not random, like people that I thought would love the things that I had written just like cold emailing them, like Jay Duplass, Mark Duplass, like all on those, like just cold emailing all of these random, not necessarily big actors or big writers, but just people who I thought would connect with it and read it and want to meet or get lunch or something. But I never got any email, like literally zero emails. And I sent probably like over a hundred. So like, uh, and I think that is what, led to my second semester of my sophomore year. I didn't have spring break plans and uh, my two best friends didn't either. And they were not filmmakers or actors, didn't want, uh, didn't want to be in the business at all. Um, I convinced them somehow to make this little short film with me over the course of five days during spring break when everybody was gone. And it just became like the easiest idea was to make a college movie because we were on a college campus. And so we got a camera that had like, it ended up having like 12 dead pixels, but we put together this 
um, walk and talk movie that ended up being pretty long because it was just I wrote too much. But we filmed it and then I put it on YouTube and then I like tweeted the YouTube link to Jay Duplass. And like the reason why I made that movie was because no one was reading my stuff. And I was like, and Jay and Mark were always like, make stuff, make stuff, make stuff. So I was like, all right, fine, I'll make something. And so, and I literally just tweeted him the link and said, bet you won't click on this and email me after. And then the same day he emailed me and said, we should get lunch. And I think I regretted not doing that earlier because it, it, it really is, I think people don't want to read things a lot of the time. And I think I, there's another situation where I feel like I could have, just been sending emails for like four years and just hoping that someone responds, but I don't think they ever would have just because it's hard to take a chance on reading something. People like to watch stuff. It's such a great story. I mean, just the persistence of sending all those emails and then figuring out that it wasn't working and changing course and, you know, having the the guts to do that, to send it to Jay, uh, to just, you know, the resourcefulness to make it. It's such a great, great story. And it's kind of... You know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are, are always writing in about, you know, it's, you know, someone, people are stuck in some way from where they want to be. And and I think everybody, myself included, we all think there's some fancy answer to it. And it's kind of just always comes back to like, just do it. Just, yeah. just do it and you'll figure it out as you go. So my my whole thing is when some when people will say like what advice do you have it's like you don't need my advice. My my what that story is just like proof that you don't need advice. It's just about like you just need to not be afraid of uh, failing hard and somehow. And so I think that uh yeah, it's not there's there's no um there's no secret way way in for sure. Now that's, I mean, that's kind of, I think the point of this title, 10,000 knows is like, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> that's the way in, but it's not secret and it's not quick, but like a lot of times that's what it's, Hey, it's just, it's just like, you keep on, you keep on coming, you keep on coming. And eventually you, you hope that you can kind of find a chink in the, in the armor of the, you know, the powers that be, I would say anybody listening, you know, the chances that you're going to send your film to Jay Duplass and, and it's going to be, you know, he's going to have lunch with you the next day. <laughs> that That's, you know, that's, that's pretty rare. I think it speaks to your, not only your talent, but also from what I remember, there was, there was a, I hate to say strategy because that makes it sound like there's oh, well, like this. Yeah, there... What's that? There was, I think, for well, sure. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, just the whole thing of like shooting where near, you lived near where he lived and you shot this thing and you were like, you, you, but also like even down to the fact of like there's Mark and there's Jay. Uh, mm-hmm. And for people that don't know who we're talking about, Mark Duplass and, uh, and Jay Duplass brothers, I've had Mark on this podcast and they've kind of built their own little empire within Hollywood now, but they built it outside of Hollywood uh, originally. And And so you, you know, even within like which one of them you thought would respond more, it was Jay. Like you, you kind of, you were smart in where you went for help knowing, you know, who would um, maybe respond to your material. Yeah. I think that it was very, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am obsessed with Jay and I think that he's like, 
my guy and I feel very spiritually aligned with him. Even before we met, I felt like we shared sensibilities. But I did, I, and it felt also kismet in a way that he lived in Eagle Rock and I was going to school in Eagle Rock. I didn't set that up when I was in high school, but I was a huge fan of his in high school. And I think um, when I had the idea of, oh, I should make a movie and it should be, the opening shot should be of Eagle Rock so he knows that this is made in my, this was made in my neighborhood. I think it felt oh, this feels really right too. And so, yeah, it just all worked out so well. But what we're talking about, I think like the other thing that I love so much about your show is uh, like 10,000 no's is like so, there's so many no's and it, it normalizes no's in a way that I think people, especially my age, are really afraid to not even take a bunch of no's, but like they're afraid to even put themselves in a position to get told no, because there's so, there's such a big fear of rejection that like even putting yourself out to even get rejected in the first place is a big, huge step that uh, is super worth it. But not a lot of people I feel like do, especially um, uh, people my age. I'm surprised to hear you say people your age don't. I would have thought it's funny. I would have thought that because of the way a, a younger generation is just with, you know, Instagram and uh, yeah. all of the rest of it, they seem way more willing to put themselves out there than I, for example, was. I mean, it's taken it's taken a long time of me finally going like, oh, OK, it's 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 social media is not evil, but like my original default for years was like, I don't want to put myself out there. I mean, even doing this podcast, I'm like, ah, I'm going to really put me out there. Right. There was a real, um, I think something that that's ingrained into, you know, people, my generation is like, don't either, either it's like, don't expose yourself or don't, um, don't put yourself out there in a way that's like any, any way to be construed as bragging, any of that kind of stuff. Whereas I always think of the younger generations kind of going, no, let's just throw it out there. So it's interesting to hear you say that they're so scared. Yeah. I think, I think we love to overshare it for sure. But I think in terms of actually, um, but we're also very, uh, uh, I guess ironic in the way that if we're putting something out, it's like, I didn't put my whole heart into that. Or like, this is uh, like, I'm oversharing because uh, I don't want to like do like a cultivated share. And like, cause I mean, a movie is such a big, huge thing that if you put it out into the world, it's like, this is my baby. This is, I put all my work into this. this if, if you don't like this, you kind of don't like me. Like that's, and that's a, a big, huge like, I think oversharing can be cold in a way. Like, you're just like, here's my, sh- here's my stuff. Like, take it, like, it's just, it's in your face sometimes. But I think if you're really um, putting your total heart on your sleeve and saying, I, I like tried to put some kind of craft into this, like, that is very, uh, it, what, it is so vulnerable. And um, I don't think oversharing necessarily means that you're true being truly vulnerable. I would argue that it's not. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. And I had a similar situation between even even as an actor doing things where I'm interpreting roles versus having a podcast where it's like, it's just me. These are people right. that I choose to have on. This is the stuff that I'm saying. And there was there was a certain vulnerability. I want to talk about vulnerability with you because you you have it in spades. You had it in the in the film. Um, you have it as, as an 
as a filmmaker and as an actor. And uh, you said something earlier that you got out there and you were auditioning and you realized, oh, acting isn't going to work, you know, so I'm going to write. I got to tell you, you're a really talented actor. So the other connection to Jay is he didn't really think of himself as an actor either. And then all right. of a sudden he's, he's now acting and, and acting in other people's movies. You know, he's on the show and then he's getting people really like him. And, and it's like it, he didn't seek it out, but it sought him out. And I feel like you're is a similar thing. I mean, I watched that performance is, is great. And, and, uh, Dylan Galula, I don't know where you found her, uh, but she, she was excellent as well. You guys were so good. So just as a performer, even if it wasn't your film, right. I'm, I'm impressed. Um, so where are you with that? I mean, are you, is your plan to continue to make films where you put yourself as the lead or put yourself in it in some way? Do you not care about that? Will you, would you rather not be in them? What, what are you thinking at this point? Well, I'm super interested in all three and always want to try to pursue all three. And like, I think I've kind of forgotten about the acting aspect at, at times because I, um, I think I realized Really, probably on day three of Shithouse, that's what I love. Is directing is what I love, even though I didn't uh, ever want to pursue it or never thought that it would be of interest to me. I think it is what combines my love for acting and writing. And I think I always wanted to act because I'm obsessed with actors. And I don't think I... Uh, I think I just love... What's so great about directing is you just get to work with an amazing actress like Dylan. And so I, um, that's what I love so much. And I think me wanting to be an actor was just me not having confidence in uh, my ability to maybe like direct an actor or like my ability to write for an actor. So as soon as that got unlocked, I think I have shifted my brain, my energy more towards writing and directing. But I, but I still always want to, I always forget when I'm like doing like, as people will ask like, do you want to act? So I'm like, oh yeah, that was actually my first love and I love it so much. But I just sometimes, um, uh, acting is so hard and it's really all, it feels like all so much pressure. That's the one thing that was hard about making Shithouse was um, just, knowing that, oh, I have to be on camera too. I can't just have it all in my head. It has to actually come through me as like a performer, which is very difficult and exhausting. (laughs) So how did you wear all of those hats? What was your, what was your kind of ace up your sleeve? Was it just that you knew your, the story so well and knew the character so well that you were just in the zone Um, did you get overwhelmed at any point? Did you feel like you had great support? I mean, when you only have less than 10 people, there's a lot of logistic things that are going to be rough, I would imagine. Um, how, how was, what was your approach and like how, I I know it was exhausting. Um, I'm imagining it was an exhilarating exhaustion, but what, what, what what were your kind of strengths and your weaknesses in that process? Well, it was, um... I think definitely I was in that zone, but the biggest thing was that I put a lot of trust in uh, the DP, Rachel Klein, who shouldered way more than any DP is ever going to shoulder, just because, uh, 
Yeah, the the hardest part about wearing all the hats is that it's hard on other people because you don't want your director to be worried about how they're going to say a line in the scene. So I think that um, it was hardest on them. Like when when I felt like I it was there was nice it was nice for me to do all the things because there was nothing. There was one less person to communicate to, and it felt like, yeah, I felt like I was in the zone of uh, nothing was lost in translation, and it could just go right there. Like, it was so immediate, and that's what I love about the idea. Like, that's what I love about Miranda July's movies is they feel so immediate because of that. But um, what's hard is when uh, other people are trying to do their jobs and like ask, trying to ask questions and. Um, my head is in um, too many different places to like be present and answer the question as just the director or as just, or like with my scene partner wanting to just like, just talk about this scene in terms of acting. Like um, I think it was hard for Dylan. I know it was hard for Dylan. And so that those aspects of making shithouse were kind of of a nightmare, like true to the title. It was like uh, we didn't have, the support we needed to make a Miranda July movie where like, I think she has a lot of um, support and a lot of like rest, you know? And I like, she like is just so particular. And I think that we were kind of run and gun and I was playing all the parts. So everyone was just like, God, this is a, this is crazy. Like this guy is, is manic right now. <laughs> what's, what's crazy is that even with that, or maybe even because of that, there's, there's a, a freshness and a spontaneity that really comes across in the film. Um, and I, like I said, I mean, you, you know, you heard the letter. Um, I couldn't imagine you doing this film any better than you did. I mean, it's so, so I'm imagining you must've just embraced the chaos. I'm sure you got lucky a few times where like right. something, you know, something must've happened that like, you're like, holy cow, that saved us. Yes. Um, but there's, there's a, uh, there's like, there's no sign of that at all. When I'm watching it, I'm not going like, oh, well, yeah, it's good. But like, there's no asterisks next to it for me in, in terms of my viewing pleasure. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to like, did you, did you know Dylan before, um, the whole process or did she, was she just an actor who came in and auditioned for you? Cause it, it felt so, uh, like you guys knew each other. I'm just curious about that. We didn't know each other. We met like two weeks before we shot. And, but so how we met and got involved was the girl, there's this girl named Abby Quinn who actually is in the movie. She plays the girl who did the spin the bottle scene at the very, at the, at shit house, the actual shit house. And she was going to play Maggie. And so I knew her and she's, she acted with Jay in a movie and that's how we kind of got connected because Jay was like, she, she should play Maggie. And so we became friends. She was going to play Maggie and we, she like followed Dylan on Instagram and like they go on a lot of similar auditions. So they kind of know each other. And I had watched Dylan in a show called Casual and um, I had seen her in this movie called First Girl I Loved and just thought to myself, she would be, and she is Maggie on steroids. And that's what I wanted for the younger sister of Maggie. So when we were trying to cast that, I thought, what if we just ask Dylan to come in for one day? She's in LA. She like might not have anything to do. Like, I wonder if she would say yes. 
And so Abby reached out to her and I also reached out to her, but it was mainly just because she said yes, because Abby asked her. And um, so she was all set to play the sister for a day. And then Abby last second dropped out because she like booked this awesome TV show, um, like Mad About You, I think that's what it's called. It's a great show. But um, she dropped out and my first thought was, well, what if we just go with Maggie on steroids for Maggie? And I called Dylan and we talked about, uh, I kind of just asked her, would you be interested in playing the main character? And she's like, oh, I have to read it again and think of myself being this, this character. <laughs> and um, then we met for lunch and we just like, we honestly, it didn't, we didn't like hit it off. I think we, uh, I was very scared because what I thought about her personality was very true. Like she's very um, intimidating in the way that, uh, was not super comforting in terms of like, I have to like make a movie with this person and like uh, be like on the, the exact same page as this person. But then I went home and talked to my girlfriend at the time who Maggie is like totally based on. And she was like, well, isn't that how you felt with me when you first met me? And I was like, bingo, that's perfect. And so I kind of just, I think a lot of it was like we were two weeks before shooting. <laughs> and so I was just like, let's just go with it. Let's uh, take the big risk. And it ended up just being the reason I think why the movie is good is because she is so, not just so talented, but just so viscerally Maggie and um, just makes the whole movie feel so alive. And um, she's, I can't say enough amazing things about her to just like how professional she was on such like an unprofessional set at times. And just the way that she uh, just brought her A game every time and uh, was so willing to do these very vulnerable scenes, uh, but also like being such a team player, like offset as well. So yeah, yeah she's, she's awesome. That intimidation factor is, it does come across on screen. There, there yeah. was, that was part of the dynamic that I guess that's also just great casting there because that, that, that's what made it so awkward. You were kind of so innocent and yeah. she just had this uh, kind of a, a, a harsh quality in the beginning but then you kind of got underneath it it was it was just fascinating i mean if anybody is listening like i don't even know is the movie out right now can people see this right yes. now yes yeah 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 they can see it on like amazon prime or like uh, voodoo or like itunes that sort of thing so yeah anyone can see it on awesome on I, I mean i gotta tell you like anybody who is listening if you're if you're a young actor particularly a young filmmaker like you got to go you got to go see this thing. It's awesome. I mean, it, it's, it, it just had so many different colors and, and I hope I'm not overselling it. You know, like that was my fear <laughs> with when I heard Peter interview you and he was yeah. like gushing and I'm like, all right, dude, all right, you know, calm down. <laughs> yeah. like, like it's not going to, it's going to, it's going to die under the, the weight of these expectations. So maybe it just, it just hit me square, but, um, I, I I'm interested to see where you kind of pivot from from there I'm, and actually just curious right now like what's been going on for you <clears throat> since this happened uh what are you working on where are you in your head how old are you I don't even know how old you are like I'm I'm 23 and oh my I, god 
<laughs> and that's I, amazing to me, man. You're 23 <laughs> years old. It's just, dude, you unbelievable. Okay, go on. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I, I right now, I, uh, I feel like what I, I think the reason why I made Shit House and what I love about, uh, what I loved about making a movie like Shit House was, I only think small, especially right now in my life, because I really. I really loved what you said about, um, I don't know, I just really care about pushing it so far down to where there's not anything about, there's no like caveats, like there's, it feels like there's not one thing that stands out as maybe not believable or not, um, uh, or like a, a, some sort of flaw that's like glaring and takes you out of it a little bit. Like I want to be so fully, I want an audience to be so fully in it. So in terms of what I've been thinking about for my next project, I, I can't really think that much bigger because I feel like I just want to take one, one more step up and just uh, keep flattening it down so that there's not, cause I think if I were to go uh, in a, like take three steps up, I think, it would get away from me in a way that it would, what I love about shithouse and what I think is good about shithouse is that, um, it didn't ever get away from me. And so I, I really care about my next project, not getting away from me in the same way. And I so think that's really important. I could say as someone who's a little bit older than you, it's like, yeah, don't get, you know, um, it's like, it's, it's easy in this business to get kind of, um, you know, to see the shiny penny and go like, oh God, what are they going to offer me? This, right. this, this, and I'll be able to use this camera and this and all these like little fancy toys. And it's like, no, the whole point of, I think, why your film hit me was the purity. I mean, it's just, it's just storytelling, it's character. It's, it had a, a real quality to it. Um, it had a subtlety to it. Uh, there was one point when I don't even remember what part of the film, but you guys, you know, you were on a walk together or whatever it was. And I remember having this thought like, huh, you know, you could do a road movie just about like a couple going to the deli to get like a sandwich. Like if you, if you, you know what I mean? Like if you structured it properly, why can't you just do that? They don't have to go cross country. They could literally go like you know, across town. And no, and like, no doubt. Yeah. And that's what your film had. I felt was like, so regardless of how big or small the scale is for you, I, what I hope for you is you just kind of retain that unique quality that you have. That's, um, you know, you've got a voice like that's, that's what it is. It's like, I, I watched that and I felt like, it's got a point of view. It's got a, it's got a, it, it, I, I feel like I'm, I'm in, in good hands with the guy who's telling this story knows this world that he's brought me into. And so as an audience member, I really appreciate that. Cause I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to go into Cooper's world and I'm going to see what it's all about. I haven't been in college in a long time. I'm like, oh God, that's what they're doing in college. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. That's kind of similar. Oh, that's changed this, whatever it was. But I felt like I was in the hands of someone who was talking to me and presenting a world to me that he knew. So it felt, you know, it felt believable for, for, I mean, just very simple, it felt believable. 
Yeah. Thank you so much. That, I mean, that's, and that's really all I could ever ask for. And that's what I care about most is just like feeling like, uh, a, a, a good, de- a decent captain, like taking you through and, um, yeah. And whether it's being approachable or whether it's being like, just, uh, somehow garnering the trust of the audience to like, know that nothing's gonna, um, like I actually have some, like have something to say, I think at the end of the day is what it is. And so, um, thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, Hey, look, I, I wouldn't say it if I didn't, you know, we wouldn't even be having this conversation if I didn't <laughs> feel that way. Like I, I would have been like, Oh, Peter, why'd you waste an hour and a half of my life? <laughs> um, so thank you. Um, what about <clears throat> for young actors out there that are uh, going, oh, okay, this guy, this guy's cool. And this guy's going to be making more movies and all that. Like, what is it you, what are the qualities you look for in an actor? Like, it doesn't sound like this necessarily went through the normal channels and maybe your future ones won't either. But if you're sitting through people coming in and auditioning for you or just a meeting, you know, you're having lunch with someone, what are the qualities you're looking for in people that you want to collaborate, that you want to, you, you want on your set that you're, you know, that are actors that are working with you? What, what are those qualities? It's a really interesting question. I've never really thought about that, but I think uh, the first thing that pops into my head is something that I don't think I was like, the, I guess I was the casting director for Shithouse because we didn't have a casting director or money for one. But I think moving forward, I, I, th- I don't know. I don't think a lot of casting directors think this way. I think they're really trying to get the perfect person for the, the role. But the way that I always think is I just want someone who like gets it and feels like they care about it and like feels like not someone that I could necessarily be best friends with, but I think there's that aspect of it where when I was trying to figure out who was going to play the different parts in Shithouse, like for the roommate, I was like, I really want to be friends with Logan. And we ended up like getting dinner and like drinking a bunch. It was just a really nice time. And I think that that's the, just someone who like gets it, like just, um, Logan's is a really smart guy and you don't, and he, I mean, that's not the first thing, like when you're talking to him, like, God, he's so smart. And he, but he, you just, it's so he's such a smart person and the same way with Dylan they're just um they just really get it and I don't think that um when I'm trying to like figure out not that they aren't perfect for the roles and not that they aren't like perfect actors but I always think I care more about feeling like they'll understand my my direction on set as opposed to like, they are the character and I just have to like be a puppet master here. I want to be able to communicate and feel like they're absorbing what I'm saying and then we'll be on the same page. That's one of my biggest, I mean, this is amazing. I'm amazed that you're 23 that, that, because that's one of the biggest things I, I always talk to young actors about when they ask, I'm like, find your people, you right. know, find the people that like to work the way you like to work. You know, if you like to improv and keep it loose, look for other people that kind of like to work that way. It doesn't mean you always have to do that, but there's, there are ways of, you know, and, and on on the other hand, if you, if you don't like that and you like it very, you know, cut and dry, then find those people. But it's like, there are different approaches to the work and 
some people just speak your language and right. some people don't. And I think it's hugely important that people hear that and they go like, yeah, you don't want to be in the movie with the person that's like, you, you heard this person's great, but it's, well, maybe that's not true. But I was going to say, if you heard this director's great, but you really don't vibe with them, yeah. you could appreciate their films, but it might not be a great work experience. Right. Or maybe it's great because it's, not there you're not vibing with them maybe it's a different but it's a different experience but i think that's really important what you're saying because especially on a smaller film where you're really like going to war with these people mm -hmm. so you know you gotta know like when you when you're telling someone like yeah there's no real dressing room there's no that it's like you're, you guys are are hoofing it and and you want people that are kind of all in and they're into the mission and all that stuff so Right. And I think that it, they're really two different things too, which is, uh, it's, it's tricky because you can also, at the end of the day, have someone who you feel like totally understands everything you're ever going to say, but also is, does not have a good attitude. Like there's, it's really, it's amazing when you find someone who you feel like is totally aligned with what we're like, you're trying to do. And just like you speak each other's language and they're just like, so game for everything and like such a team player and just care about making a good thing. Cause like it's, I think sometimes I might want to work with the person who maybe doesn't get it, but it's just like so game to be there because like, that's also really, really important to have. So I think that that's another quality that um, if you're just so excited about it, like that's always something that's uh, attractive to work, to work with. And like, I want to work with, people who are like, I oh, mean, I just like want to be on set and I'm like, dude, same, let's get on set together. So that's nice. I got to say, I hope, uh, I hope this, um, we're catching all this stuff. Cause a lot of times you're freezing. You had, you had something good, but you froze. <laughs> I, I was just saying, I, uh, it goes a long way when someone, when I, can you hear me? Uh, I lost you again. <laughs> it's oh. like every time you're going to say something perfectly wise, and then I'm trying, and then I I have a judgment call to make. I'm like, do I tell him I didn't hear that, <laughs> or do I let him go and know that he said something cool? <laughs> He's going to think I'm a bad interviewer because I'm not asking questions based on everything he said. <laughs> but I, I was just I was just saying that it goes a long way when when I feel like someone really wants to be on set because like I want to be on set. And I, uh, uh, positive energy is like always necessary and always, uh, unfortunately not in big, uh, like doesn't come, come around a lot. Like there's not a ton of actors who just bring that positive energy of, I, I'm so excited that we're making a movie and I'm taking it seriously, but like, it's so, um, it's so meaningful. I mean, it's funny because I'm, you know, I've been doing this a long time and I, I could be, there are ways in which I could be jaded, but just even on this job where I am right now, we had like a couple of weeks ago, we had this shootout sequence and, you know, we're, we're there for two days doing this shootout sequence. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, I get to the end of one of the days and I was like, 
we're basically being paid to play <laughs> cops and robbers. Like I, yeah. I'm like almost a 50 year old man <laughs> and I'm getting paid to play cops and robbers. Like this is unbelievable. This is like, I mean, it re- when you really break it down to that and the magic of what it is, when, when you do get to work and you get to be involved in cool projects, it, it is, it is awesome. And I agree with you. Like how, how are you not so fired up, especially when it's, you know, they don't come around that often, like a, right. a, a really great story to tell. And like, and, and, you know, it's like, I know life gets in the way sometimes. And sometimes there's, there are sometimes in, in, in fairness to some actors, they've maybe been put through the ringer so many times right. by, you know, like a first time filmmaker who's like, are you going to bleed for me? And, and, and they're expecting everybody to bleed for them. And, but it's really more their thing than it is the others. And, and the actor's been put through the ringer. And so they've gotten jaded, unfortunately. Right. I, I feel lucky that somehow way, shape or form, I've been able to maintain a little bit of that child, childlike kind of you know, kid on Christmas morning aspect of acting, which is, I'm always like, you know, anytime I go to the studios and you're in a back lot or anytime I'm just filming, you know, on location, whatever, it, it just really does make me a little bit giddy, you know, you're like, yeah. this is cool. We get to do this. It is so cool. And something interesting that you were just talking about too, I think sometimes directors don't realize that, uh, like the luckiest of directors, if you take the luckiest of directors and luckiest of actors, the actor is on set so much more often than this director. And I think that comes sometimes, even if they're not, even if the actor isn't jaded, it's just like, look, I'm working on a project two days after I wrap on this one. And the director is like, oh, well, I'm going to be editing this project for the next year. So it's like, there's, there's two different, the, I think it's important for a director to realize that, you want people excited, but no one's going to feel as strongly about this material as you because, of, of course, they're not. And I mean, it's really cool when you uh, like uh, find like a first time actor who it is feel it does feel like that for them. But I think that uh, that's the that's something that gets gets lost sometimes is that like directors are largely very inexperienced, even if it's their first movie or it's their like sixth movie, they've only been on set for like however long those, those movies took. And so, uh, they are coming, you're coming from very different places and backgrounds as, as an actor and, or as a director. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll, you know, wind it down a little bit here so I don't keep you for, you know, two weeks, but, um, <laughs> how about COVID has, has that, what has happened with you creatively over quarantining, whatever, has it been good for you? Have you found it almost better because you've, you've, it's been, you're in like hibernation mode. Have you been connecting with people? Have you felt thwarted? What's been your experience? Well, uh, COVID is the worst thing ever, but I, it, taking meetings from your bedroom is nice. Like there's something nice about not having to drive all across town for all these different, um, things. Uh, so I feel like I have the time that I want to, uh, balance just working and, and then also like meeting people. And so that's, that's been really nice, but yeah, there's something also where, uh, COVID, as as people are trying to figure out what things they can film, I think people are looking to. I think Jay's already done talked about this on a couple 
like small filmmakers are kind of in demand right now because they're trying to figure out how to have less people on set for because of the restrictions and um so yeah it's it's been you even have with what just happened I don't even know how to articulate what happened with the Warner Brothers thing but like there's it's kind of a nice moment for the six to seven million dollar movies and that's like kind of like right where i want to i mean sh- sh- shit house is not <laughs> but I, I but i think like moving forward i can't ever see myself going uh bigger than that but it seems like that kind of is like a really nice feels like a lot of companies are thinking that's kind of a, a great spot for us which is what nice. about what about the idea of you know I, I'm seeing a lot of um, one season television shows they're calling a miniseries like a six yeah. episode or an eight episode arc where you can almost shoot it as though you know you write the whole season before you start shooting so it's like a little bit more of an in depth film is that something that is appealing to you that you would want to do and show run it or whatever I didn't think so at all I I'm like super interested in TV and I'm super interested in movies and like but I think of them as very separate and but I mean something just like really the past like two weeks there's something that I've kind of just really fallen in love with the this project that can only be uh, told through in that way and so um I mean normal people is like probably my favorite thing that came out this year and that's a mini series if you like um call it what it is but uh yeah I just I think I always didn't, I wasn't a fan of miniseries, but I have come around to the idea, I think, because um, it is like a beautiful, very different, and also very fairly new uh, medium, I feel like, another form of, it's like a, it's very specific storytelling that is refreshing in a way. Yeah. And, And what about directing other people's writing, would you do that? Or are you just into your own uh, writing at this point? Right now I feel uh, more into, I don't feel useful a lot of the time when I'm reading someone else's. uh, And I think that's just a maturity thing. Like I don't think that I, uh, I always feel like, oh, I need to rewrite this so that it makes more sense in my head. Like I think that that's, the biggest thing, but I've been like super, it's hard not to fall in love with certain things. And I've also just definitely not been someone who's like, I'm only going to direct something that I write. So I'm reading yeah. all these things and I'm just, it's hard not to be fall in love so hard with some of them, but it's, it's uh, challenging for me to feel like I'm going to be of, of great use with these other uh, words. I'm always like, have you met with this person? And they're like, are you pitching another director right now (laughs) during this meeting? Like, not no. (laughs) That's so crazy. That's so funny. And and are you right? Are you one of these people that's writing every day? Are you, is it, is it kind of a a ritual where you're every morning you're writing for a certain amount of time or is it more in spurts and random when your inspiration hits? I think it's, it's in spurts for sure, but I, I've, I, I gotta say, like, I haven't, there hasn't been a day where I haven't uh, written a good amount in like a really long time. And I think it's just because, uh, I don't know what, I just feel very inspired right now. Um, so I think that 
I've just been, I've been writing a ton, but I think, uh, the spurts thing is it's, there's a lot of different kind of writing. I feel like, like just throwing a bunch of stuff out and you get like 40 pages done, or you're just like, uh, going crazy about like three pages and that takes all day. So I think that, um, that's, uh, sometimes I think people think of writing as I got to write my 10 pages today, but I think I always am just like, what do I need to do today? And sometimes that means like, literally just going over three pages like an insane person or it means like just like farting out 60 pages <laughs> yeah i got three questions for you um that that i kind of ask everybody um the first one is the word no means what to you that's such a great question i well i i um the word no means so it's so in different contexts it definitely means different things but in terms of I guess per, professionally I think um I always think of it as I'm not the right person for for you like I don't think of it as like stopping something but I do think of it as um I'm not going to try to convince you I just like go back into myself and I think sometimes that can go Ari but like I I try to be uh, optimistic about, oh, this person doesn't, uh, it's, it's just not for them or it's just not, sometimes I'll do the defensive, like they don't get it. But like, I think that that's sometimes very healthy. And so I think when I hear no, I think about all the people that will say yes, like tomorrow or something, but that's yeah, cool. that's, that's my answer. Cause I, I don't think of no, so I was, I think the first thing that popped in my head was like, when someone says no, I think not yet. But that's so, that's not true. I think I do think of it is done with this person and I'm not going to try to convince them otherwise. I'm just going to move on to another person because there's a lot of people in the world. Yeah, yeah. Or it's done for this person right now at least. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, what about, um, is there any phrase or mantra that you kind of lean on when everything goes sideways? Anything that gets you through it? Like a, a life philosophy? No, but I... I uh, I've just been saying, I just always try to remind myself that at the end of the day, what I really care about is trying to like say something that like means something to me and that I think will hopefully mean something to other people. And so I don't, uh, I never want to get caught up in, uh, like aesthetics. I think that, a and I, I think I know that that's maybe what the one thing that I have going for me is that uh, I'm, that's all I have, <laughs> that's all I have going for me is I really want to say something and it's something, and the things that I am making movies about or writing about, like it, it's obviously means a lot to me. And I think that if I got caught up in how good something is or how good something's going to be, I just going to feel like I need to go to school for n nine years before I start this back up. But so I'm just telling myself, no, it means something to me. It's going to mean something to other people. So that's what I tell myself. That's cool. And the last one, um, I know you are, you know, a lot younger than me, but I'm still going to ask this question. If you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? Um, 
I think I, uh, <laughs> why does this make people, this is so, that's such an emotional question. I think that I would just, um, maybe the summer before my sophomore year, I would just say, it's going to be so great. Like I just would not give advice, not tell me to go in a different direction or, or keep trying or anything like that. I just, just trust that it's, uh, like everything is so okay. And it's not, um, it, and get, get, I guess, get away from the greatness that you're like trying to achieve or something. Cause that's so toxic. And if you just think about how everything's going to be so deeply okay, I think, that's what I would have, like, and obviously I, I would, would have liked to go back to every single age and told myself that. But I think really particularly that that summer before my sophomore year, I was very, I was really scared about uh, how fast time was moving. And um, I like was like, I don't know if things are okay. Like, I feel so fragile and I don't, and it's so, everything is unknown. So even though it wasn't, but like, it just felt like that. And so, yeah, going back and telling myself like, everything's so all right, dude. That's what I would tell myself. That's great. Cooper Rafe, um, dude, I am so glad we got to do this. Um, I'm so impressed with you and, um, and uh, grateful that you sat down. Cause I think, I, I really do think a lot of people, um, particularly people, well, all ages. I was going to say your age and, and even younger, they're looking up to you, but any age um, are going to find so much wisdom in, in what you've done. And and the fact that you've done what you've done right now, I, I hope everybody that listens to this goes and watches Shithouse. It is really, really great. If you couldn't tell that I thought that by now, then maybe you should stop listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, anything else that they should be looking out for from you? Uh, anything where they could, we could you know, send people your way? Or is that no, the no, but I think I would, I want to say, uh, go watch, I just watched this last night, go watch Love on the Spectrum on Netflix if you have a Netflix account. Like, that's what you should watch. I have nothing to do with it at all, but I just love that show so much and I want people to watch it. Because every. I I don't Every, even know it. I'm going to watch it. You That's, have to watch it. Yeah. Every, everybody that I've asked, like, have you seen this? They are all saying they haven't. And that's a problem because it's so good. It's like this uh, documentary show that um, follows these um, people looking for love. And everyone love should watch it. Yeah. yeah. It's really great. I got a little bit of a bone to pick with Netflix because I had a show on Netflix that I loved. And they kind of didn't really they seemed like they were going to get behind it. And then they kind of, it was gone pretty quick. Like it didn't get a second season really quickly, even though well, a lot of people loved it. Well, that's uh, the thing is that we need to, I, I, I'm worried that that's what's going to happen with love on the spectrum. And I, so people need to watch it and make sure that Netflix knows they can't, they ha it has to have a second season. We, yeah. I mean, I, we can, we'll say it on here. I mean, that's what happened. I did this show huge in France that I'm telling oh, you, I've never my gotten. Gosh, wait, yeah, yeah, you did. Like that, that, I was I was so pissed about that as well. I uh, do you know uh, what's his name? Tim Maddox is that his name? The DP. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, yeah, Tom, I Tommy Tommy Tom, Maddox. Tommy Maddox. Yeah. So I uh, that's so funny, man. I uh, that was so. It feels like so long ago, but I. I tried to get him to to shoot shit house because I was like, and it was because I watched that show and was like, 
who in the heck filmed this project? I, I really love that show so much. I mean, that character for me was so much fun. I mean, yeah, it, it yeah, was, dude. <laughs> it was so much fun, and I it it got so much love from people that we know in the comedy world mm-hmm. that I we were like, oh, it's. I mean, we when it when it kind of went around the creators, their writer directors that were a, a team, yeah. loved them. And we, I went to do ADR and, um, I was like, what do you guys think? Cause I hadn't seen them for a couple of months and they're like, dude, you're going to love this. And they showed me a bunch of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, this is this, they absolutely killed it. This show is going to, this is going to change this is going to be good for me. And, the, and I felt like my role was so like kind of. Dude, you're um, an amazing actor. I truly uh, like did not. I, you're <laughs> you're you. so funny, man. You're so funny. Thank you. It's funny. I don't do a ton of comedies, but when there's funny material, yes. I can be funny. You yeah. know, if it's like that, the thing with that was, you know, I would always fight to make it real and they would always fight to have me be bigger. And so we kind of got to a, a, a point where we would do some for me and then we'd do some for them. Yeah. And luckily they really took care of me in the edit because I think they really pulled the best of both. And cause I just was yeah, worried yeah, yeah. that if you, if you take that material, to me, there's a real sadness in that, in, in that role and in Definitely. that whole show. And I didn't want it. I knew it was funny, but I didn't want it to just be funny and and sacrifice the the heart of this guy underneath yeah. it, like that kind of desperation of people in our business, which yeah. you may not even at 23 even necessarily see it to the degree I see it. Right. But there's just, just this sad, I'm sure you see it too, but it's like this, this, sad groping for something. And like, I felt like they just captured it with that. And I was, I mean, talk about being giddy on a set, dude. Yes, I, was, yeah. I was so, I loved that job. And, and we could not believe it was like, Netflix loves it. Netflix loves it. They emailed my reps and they're like, we're going to get behind Matt for an Emmy campaign. I was like, this is fucking great. It came out and literally it came out on April 12th and then May 10th or something. They're like, it's not getting a second season. We're like, like the creators had called, I was in Mexico with my family and they called and they're like, after two weeks, they're like, dude, they love it. Blah, blah, blah. It was like nothing but great. I get back. I was literally, I, I might've even been interviewing someone or I was on the phone in some way, like kind of like phone on my ear and my computer was in front of me and I get an email and it was them emailing all of us and they're like, hey guys, unfortunate. And I'm, I'm- The phone dropped. Yeah. I'm like, holy fuck. Wait a second. Wait, what? And it's just like, it's fucking done. That's and, and, and there was like pretty, nothing we could do with it. We couldn't take it anywhere else. It was like it died with Netflix. That was it. Right. That's devastating. We, That's awful. It, yeah. It was, I mean, look, it, it, it freed me up to do the job I'm doing right now, which has been cool. Very, very different. This is like an early nineties Boston cop, cop drama. It's, it's uh-huh. totally different, but it's cool. It's with Kevin Bacon and it's, a it's, it, it, Aldous Hodge and it's, it's cool. But that had a real, like Tommy Maddox, he, he was awesome. Uh, yeah. the, the, the creators were great. The whole cast was great. Aaron Hayes, like it was just a, just a, one of those experiences where you're just like, how does this one not go? So I hope your, your 
show, Love on the Spectrum, the one that you like. I, I hope it goes, but who the fuck knows? Yeah. You know? It's really hard to tell when it's not about uh, how good stuff is sometimes. But it, but I think it, I do think that it is about uh, telling people about your... There's certain shows that I think sometimes people feel not the greatest about like saying you gotta watch this show even though you love it so much but it's just if you love something if if you want to see it more you have to like tell people to go watch it i feel that way with there's a show called feel good on netflix too and i was really 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 afraid that it wasn't going to get a second season and i think it i mean i know it did get a second season but it, it took a really long time and i followed the creator and she was always just like to tell people, tell people. And I told so many people about that show just because I really wanted it to have a second season and that's what we got to do. That's what I feel like with your movie. That's why I reached out to you because it's just like, this this guy's got to make more movies. I mean, honestly, that's just, it's just like out of a, out of a, um, a selfish audience standpoint. And then, <laughs> and then also as an actor myself, I'm like, that's a guy, I, I, I go work with that guy. Like yeah, just man. from watching yeah. a movie, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just from watching a movie, you're like, Yep, that's, you know, that's not that often. It, it really doesn't, ha- it's, it happens way less than, than you probably realize because you're probably getting this reaction from everybody. So you're like, yeah, everybody wants to work with me. <laughs> that's not the norm, dude. It's not the norm. What, what, you, what you've done, and I don't know, but I'm guessing based on Peter's reaction to you and my own, I'm guessing a bunch of people would say that to you, which is awesome. You should... That's cool because then you'll have your pick of of better people. But but that's not the norm because you just don't you don't I don't know I don't think you see it that often. You certainly don't see it with someone your age that often. I don't think. Thank you, man. Thank you uh, so or, much. Or I just don't go to enough you know yeah. uh, film festivals. So maybe <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah. But but that's my take on it. So yeah. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, dude. Dude, thank you so much for this. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All right. How great was Cooper? Top three takeaways. Number one, sometimes when the thing that you think you want isn't working out, you actually just need to pivot and go where the world is taking you. And that is what Cooper did going from acting to filmmaking. But so as I realized that acting wasn't going to be the thing for me, I started writing a bunch. Number two, good old persistence, sending all the emails. People think that they're being persistent. They send three things and they're done. Listen to what Cooper says about what he did before he actually made the film and how he was just shut out. And all throughout first semester of sophomore year at Occidental, I was trying to send all of these very random people, not random, like people that I thought would love the things that I had written just like cold emailing them, like Jay Duplass, Mark Duplass, like all on those, like just cold emailing all of these random, not necessarily big actors or big writers, but just people who I thought would connect with it and read it and want to meet or get lunch or something. But I never got any email, like literally zero emails. And I sent probably like over a hundred. And number three, again, is going back to pivoting. After sending all the emails and realizing, hey, this isn't working out, rather than bang his head against the wall, he said, okay, everybody's telling me I need to make something. I'm going to shift. I'm going to make something. And that's what he did. 
I think I regretted not doing that earlier because it, it, it really is, I think people don't want to read things a lot of the time. And I think I, there's another situation where I feel like I could have just been sending emails for like four years and just hoping that someone responds, but I don't think they ever would have just because it's hard to take a chance on reading something. People like to watch stuff. Okay. Thank you once again to Cooper Rafe. I love this conversation. I am looking so forward to seeing what this young filmmaker does moving forward. I hope you guys dug it. I know you actors and young filmmakers had to have dug it. Um, again, Please share the podcast. If you think someone would benefit from hearing this, please share it with them, whether that's just a text or an email or telling them word of mouth or leaving a review, a five-star rating, putting it on social media, whatever. Same thing with the book, 10,000 Knows, How to Overcome Rejection on the Way to Your Yes. If you read it, if you buy it, if you leave the Amazon review, it really helps the visibility. So we appreciate that. We will be back here on Monday for another solo Monday morsel, and we'll see you back again next week. All right. Take care. 